Hi, my name is Lynn McTaggart. Welcome to my podcast, Living the New Science. In these podcasts, I'm covering some extraordinary discoveries by frontier scientists and why this changes everything we think about how our world works and also how we should live our lives. It may also give you a full understanding of why the world out there is mutable and can be affected by your thoughts. Today, I want to talk about entrainment and the fact that our brains are copycats that often mirror each other when another person is sending his thoughts to you or vice versa. Brain mapping during certain types of healing, like bioenergy, also shows evidence of brainwave synchrony. In many instances, when one person is sending focused intention to another, their brains appear to become entrained. Entrainment is a term in physics, which means that two oscillating systems fall into synchrony. It was coined by a Dutch mathematician in the 1600s after discovering that two of his clocks with pendulums standing in close approximation to each other had begun to swing in unison. He'd been toying with the two pendulums and found that even if he started one pendulum swinging at one end and the other at the opposite end, eventually the two would swing in unison. Two waves peaking and troughing at the same time are considered in phase or operating in sync. Those peaking at opposite times are out of phase. Physicists believe that entrainment results from tiny exchanges of energy between two systems that are out of phase, causing one to slow down and the other to speed up until the two are in phase. It's also related to resonance, or the ability of any system to absorb more energy than normal at a particular frequency, which in physics means the number of peaks and troughs in one second. That's what frequency is. Any vibrating thing, including an electromagnetic wave, has its own preferential frequencies, called resonant frequencies, where it finds vibrating the easiest. When it listens or receives a vibration from somewhere else, it tunes out all pretenders and only tunes into its own resonant frequency. It's a little bit like a mother instantly recognizing her child from among a mass of schoolchildren. Our sense of hearing operates through a form of entrainment. Different parts of a membrane of the inner ear resonate to different frequencies of sound. Resonance even occurs in the seas, such as in the tidal resonance of the Bay of Fundy in the northeast end of the Gulf of Maine near Nova Scotia. Once they march to the same rhythm, things that are entrained send out a stronger signal than they do individually. This most commonly occurs with musical instruments, which sound amplified when all playing in phase. At the Bay of Fundy, the time required for a single wave to travel from the bay's mouth to its opposite end and back is exactly matched by the time of each tide. Each wave is amplified by the rhythm of each tide, resulting in some of the highest tides in the world. 
During a long partnership with the late psychologist William Broad, Marilyn Schlitz, one-time president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, conducted rigorous research in, into what became known in the psychic community as D-mills, or direct mental interaction with living systems, the ability of human thought to influence the living world around it. These experiments usually follow the basic study design of that perennial favorite among consciousness researchers, which we talked about in the last podcast, the sense of being stared at. You may remember that in those studies, two people are isolated from each other in separate rooms and a video camera is trained on the receiver, who is also hooked up to skin conductance equipment not unlike a polygraph machine, the type used in lie detective studies to detect an increase in fight-or-flight unconscious autonomic nervous system activity. At random intervals, the sender is instructed to stare at the subject on the monitor, while the receiver is told to relax and try to think of anything other than the prospect of being stared at. A later comparison analysis determines whether the receiver's autonomic system registered a reaction during those moments he or she was being stared at to determine whether the mere attention of the sender was unconsciously picked up by the most automatic systems of the receiver's body. The major DEMIL studies conducted since 1963 demonstrate that under many types of circumstances, the electrical signaling in the brains of people gets synchronized. The frequencies, amplitudes, and phases of the brain waves start operating in tandem. Although the studies followed slightly different designs, all of them asked the same question. Can the stimulation of one person be felt in the higher central nervous system of another? Or as the Institute of Noetic Sciences chief scientist Dean Radin likes to think of it, after a sender gets pinched, does the receiver also feel the ouch? Two people wired up with a variety of physiological monitoring equipment, such as EEG machines, are isolated from each other in different rooms. One would be stimulated with something, a picture, a light, or a mild electric shock. The researchers would then examine the two EEGs to determine if the receiver's brainwaves mirrored those of the sender when he or she was being stimulated. The earliest DMILS research had been designed by psychologist and consciousness researcher Charles Tart who carried out a series of brutal studies to determine whether people could empathetically feel another person's pain. He administered shocks to himself while a volunteer, isolated in a different room and hooked up to a, an array of medical gadgetry, was being monitored to see if his sympathetic nervous system somehow picked up Tart's reactions. Whenever Tart jolted himself, the receiver registered an unconscious empathetic response in terms of decreased blood volume and increased heart rate, as though he were also getting the shocks. Harold Wallach, a German scientist at the University of Freiburg, tried an approach that was guaranteed to magnify the sender's effects in order to maximize the response in the receiver. 
the sender was shown an alternating black and white checkerboard called a pattern reversal, which is known to trigger predictable high amplitude electrical brainwaves in viewers. At the same instant, the EEG of the distant shielded receiver recorded identical brainwave patterns. A Mexican neurophysiologist, Jacobo Grinberg Zeilerbaum, had used the same protocol a decade before Wallach, but with a different twist, with light flashes rather than patterns as the stimulus. In this study, the particular patterns of firing in the brain of the sender, which were evoked by the light, turned out to be mirrored in the brain of the receiver, who was sitting in an electrically shielded room more than 14 meters away. Grinberg Zeilerbaum also discovered that an important condition determined success. The synchrony only occurred among pairs of participants who had met and established a connection by spending 20 minutes with each other in meditative silence. In earlier work, Grinberg Zeilerbaum had discovered that brainwave synchrony occurred not only between two people, but between both hemispheres of the brains of both participants, with one important distinction. The participant with the most cohesive quantum wave patterns sometimes set the tempo and tended to influence the other. In other words, the most ordered brain pattern often prevailed. Besides resonance, the DMIL studies offered evidence of another phenomenon during intention. The receiver anticipated the information by registering the ouch a few moments before the pinch occurred in the sender. In 1997, in his former lab at the University of Nevada, Dean Radin discovered that humans may receive a physical foreboding of an event. He set up a computer that would randomly select photos designed to calm, arouse, or upset a participant. His volunteers were wired to physiological monitors that recorded changes in skin conduction, heart rate, and blood pressure. They sat in front of a computer that would randomly display color photos of tranquil scenes, like landscapes, or scenes designed to shock, such as autopsy, or to arouse, like erotic materials. Radin discovered that his subjects were registering physiological responses before they saw the photo. As if trying to brace themselves, their responses were highest before they saw an image that was erotic or disturbing. This offered the first laboratory proof that our bodies unconsciously anticipate and act out our own future emotional states, and that the nervous system does not merely cushion itself against a future blow, but also works out the emotional meaning of it. Marilyn Schlitz and Dean Radin now wanted to find out whether they could achieve similar correlations if the sender were actually sending an intention to heal. Schlitz and her fellow researchers decided to seek out couples where either partner was suffering from cancer of any variety. Eventually, 31 couples volunteered, including healthy couples who were to act as controls. The scientists nicknamed the study the Love Study. Radin divided the couples into three groups. The first group, the trained group, 
was to undergo training in healing intention, practice compassionate intention daily for three months, and then carry out the test. The second group, called the WAIT group, was to carry out the test first and then have the training. The 18 healthy couples comprising the third group, the control group, were to have no training at all, but simply to undergo the test. With all three groups, the member of the couple with the cancer, or one of the designated partners in the control group, was asked to sit in a black reclining chair placed in a one-ton, solid steel, double-walled, electromagnetically shielded enclosure. Each inhabitant was fitted to an array of medical gadgetry to measure brainwaves, heartbeat, breathing rate, skin conductance, and peripheral blood flow. A video camera stood discreetly in the corner. Some 20 meters away, the other partner was seated in the dark, attached to the same medical equipment as his or her partner, staring at a small blank TV screen. Whenever the image of the partner in the shielded room abruptly flashed on the television screen, and it did so at random times, the other member of the couple was to send a compassionate intention to his or her partner for 10 seconds. Raiden then compiled all the physiological data from the three groups and studied the results between partners and looked at also at averages between the group. Each physiological response offered fascinating information about the effect of intention on the receiver. For instance, in the case of measurements of blood to the extremities, in every group, the sender's skin conductance increased two seconds after seeing the partner's image, and the receiver recorded a similar arousal a half second after the image had flashed. The receiver clearly appeared to be responding to intention, indeed almost instantaneously. A similar situation occurred with the heart rate. The sender's heart rate increased five seconds after the stimulus prompt to send the intention, which was consistent with the physical response that occurs in the body during the process of making some sort of mental effort. But an identical increase took place in the receiver, which would not happen ordinarily if he or she were simply resting in a recliner. Blood flow followed a similar pattern. Whenever we experience something that stimulates us, our vascular network in our extremities constricts slightly to maximize blood flow to the core of the body. This phenomenon occurred in the sender, but was soon imitated in the body of the receiver. But it was the brainwave results that proved to be the most interesting. Whenever the receiver's image flashed on the screen, their brainwaves mimicked the brainwaves that shortly followed in the sender. The receivers had registered an emotional reaction, even though there was no tangible stimulus. All three groups had shown an effect. In every instance, each physiological response of the receivers had tracked those of the senders. However, the most prolonged pattern occurred among the cancer patients whose partners had been trained in compassionate intention. The receivers in the training group not only responded to the stimulus, but also kept responding over eight of the ten seconds of the intention. In quantum terms, the couples had become as one. The love study indicates a number of profound suggestions about the nature of intention. 
Sending a directed thought seems to generate a palpable energy. Whenever one of Raiden's senders sent a healing intention, many subtle aspects of the receiver's body became activated, as though he had received a minuscule electric shock. It seemed to be a kind of activating awareness, as though his body had felt or heard the healing signal. There'd even been an element of anticipation in the receiver. Some physiological reactions recorded suggested that the receiver had felt the partner's healing intention before he had even sent it. People appear to receive healing deep in their bodies by being retuned to the more coherent energy of the healer's intention. During healing, it could be that the orderly energy of the well person entrains and reorders the sick. In order to have the most powerful effect, a healer or sender needs to become ordered on some subatomic level, mentally and emotionally. The Love Study demonstrates that certain conditions and mental states make our intention especially powerful and ourselves more ordered, and that these states can be achieved with training. And this is something that I train in my master classes, my weekend workshops, and Also, you can read about them in The Intention Experiment and The Power of Eight. And here's the biggest takeaway message. When we send intention, in a manner of speaking, we have to become the other. Here's a way to test this yourself. Place yourself in one room with a partner in the other. Both of you should have a timer next to you. You can use your phone, which usually has a timer. Start with you as the sender and your partner as the receiver. Look around the room and find several objects that you particularly like. Study their color, shape, and everything about them. Gather the objects around you. At a random time, without telling your partner when, but noting the time yourself, hold one of the objects in your hand and send a mental image of it to your partner. Make a mental note of which one you're sending first. Use your five senses and any emotional response you have, good or bad, when you send it. Send it for a good 30 seconds. Write down the time you've finished sending it as well. Then at another random interval, repeat the process with the second object. And once you're finished sending that object, at another random interval, send the third. Once you're done, go to your partner's room and compare notes, but let your receiving partner tell you what he or she received before you describe what you sent. Ask the receiver what objects they received and the times they received it. See if there's anything about the receiver's image that matches, such as the object itself, of course, or its color or shape, or even the time it was received. Then switch and have the receiver be the sender and you the receiver. This is Lynn McTaggart helping you to live the new science. Keep listening and I'll continue to give you information and tips every time about how to incorporate this new information into your lives.